And it's summertime. It's This was back to school week for lots of kids around Metro Atlanta, around the state of Georgia, which always gets me thinking about next chapter. It's a new chapter. Kids are going back to school. It's a new grade. It's a whole new world for them. And as kids and students, we do that year after year after year. Then we get into the adult world and we work for 30 or 40 years. And then we start really getting ready to transition into our new chapter. It might be a pre-retirement phase. It might be full retirement, at least from our working life. One of the core pieces to a happy retirement is health and longevity. Because that piece of the equation is just as important as the money side of the equation when it comes to a happy retirement. I think that's why many years ago, I really was drawn to the work of Dan Butner, who is a very well-known National Geographic fellow who many years ago wrote an article titled The Secrets of a Long Life. All of his research around that led to what today is a very well-known book called Blue Zones, Nine Lessons for Living Longer from the People Who've Lived the Longest. These are lessons around longevity and living a happy, long life. So whether it's back to school season for you and your kids, or you're eyeing this new season of some form of retirement, let's spend some time with Dan Butner, one of the world's greatest teachers around one of the world's most important topics. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. First, Dan, if someone has never uh, been introduced to the Blue Zones concept, about longevity and the Blue Zones com- concept around happiness. Can you just give us, a, a, our audience, a brief overview of, of your work? So my specialty at National Geographic has been to identifying extraordinary populations, extraordinary populations that have achieved uh, outcomes that we want, either in longevity or the latest work was in, in happiness, and then reverse engineer it. So the first Blue Zone book, uh, we spent two and a half years with demographers whose specialty is finding populations where people have the highest life expectancy or the highest centenarian right, rate or the lowest rate of middle-age mortality, which means at you know when you're 40 and 50, you have the best chance of reaching a healthy age 90 or 95. So once you find those populations... Because we know only about 10% of how long you live is dictated by your genes, uh, we know that these people possess something. They're doing something right that's making them manifestly longer lived. And we also know by measuring their telomeres, their, their DNA in a sense, that they're biologically younger at every decade. And this isn't a test tube. It's not theoretic. It's not, you know, some supplement hocus pocus. Uh, these are real populations who've achieved the outcomes that, that we want. And then uh, the second wave of work involved uh, recruiting a team of mostly medical experts who could go into these populations and, and 
identify the common denominators. Uh, the end result is a number of lessons that we can we can take away to help us live, get the most good years out of life and the most life out of our years. And, and by the way, you know, in America, poor health is costing our country about 13, I'm sorry, 17 trillion dollars a year, 3.7 trillion dollars a year. And uh, health is really money these days. So investing in your health is really, you know, as important as investing in your in your uh, retirement fund. When you originally set out on this project, was it the dem- was, was it the demographics conference or was it National Geographic that or, or was it you that said, here are these five places around the world? And let's just talk about those five places for a minute. Uh, and what again, where were they for our listener audience? And then what did they essentially have in common? So I, ri- I originally got the idea and then got funding from the National Institutes on Aging and th- to hire the demographers. And then once I identified these places, I took the idea to National Geographic and they embraced it and, and really provided the funding for the second half of the work. But um, so the, the longest lived women in the world live in Okinawa, Japan, about 800 miles south of Tokyo. The longest-lived men live in the highlands of Sardinia, an area called the Noro province, about 10 times more male centenarians there than you'd expect to see in the United States. Ten times. In Ikaria, Greece, which is near Turkey, you have an island of 10,000 people that are living about eight years longer than Americans do, but largely without dementia, which makes them extraordinary. And then the Koya Peninsula of Costa Rica, uh, this is from previously where the Contras lived. You have an area here there where uh, a 50-year-old is about three times more likely to reach a healthy age 95 than an American would. And they do so spending about one-fifteenth the amount we do on health care. And then in the United States, the longest-lived population is among the Seventh-day Adventists, the highest concentration of whom live around Loma Linda, California. And they're living about 10 years longer than uh, their Californian counterparts. So in all these places, people... And and by the way, the type of longevity they have is nothing magical. Uh, What they're doing that the rest of us are not is eluding the diseases that foreshorten our lives. They're not getting cancer. They're not getting heart disease or diabetes or dementia at near the rates that the rest of us are. So my job was to figure out how, and that was uh, the, 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 the result were the Blue Zones books that I've been writing. Well, and that first, so so originally, and this was, so this is really, your, this is your idea, and then funded and backed by National Geographic, and you went around and you interviewed hundreds of folks in these places and tried to link them together. And then, so what will, I, I think maybe we start with, I think a good summary of that is the, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the power nine, the power nine are the move naturally and purpose and downshift is, that link these five communities together. So let's maybe just start with the power nine is a, is a great way to, to tell our audience a little bit more about the linkage, the common denominator that that helps people around the world in these blue zones uh, live the longest, really have the highest life expectancy or the, the highest percentage of centenarians on the planet, which is amazing to me. Yeah. So uh, 
you know, they're vastly different cultures. You have Asia, Latin America, Europe, North America. So I, I was really interested in, in what, are, what are the things that you see in common in all these blue zones? You know, I labeled it Power Nine. It was sort of a fun way to put a name on some serious research. But no matter where you go and people live a long time, um, they are moving every 20 minutes or so. So they're not running marathons or doing triathlons or pumping iron, but they do garden. Every time they go to work or a friend's house, they're walking. They, uh, they, uh, their house is not full of electronic mechanized conveniences. So the point is they're keeping their metabolisms running at a higher rate every day without thinking about it, as opposed to sort of the folly that we Americans describe to that we can sit in our office all day long and then think we're going to spend 20 minutes in the gym or a half hour at the gym at the end of the day and make up for it. That's not how, that's not how we work. And that we know that doesn't work. Uh, the other thing is, you know, they're eating mostly a plant-based diet, which is a real, uh, a real revelation for me. Uh, they of course do eat a little bit of meat, but it's usually a celebratory food. It's usually a, a wedding or a birthday or Sunday after church or something. Lunar New Year, but their day-to-day -day, uh, food consumption was mostly, and get this, the four things that you see in all blue zones when it comes to food, they're eating greens, whole grains, nuts, and beans, about a cup of nuts, a cup of beans every day, which is probably adding up to uh, an extra four years of life expectancy. Wine at five. Can you talk us through that piece of the equation? Yeah. So if you if you look, look at 155 dietary studies done over the past 100 years in these blue zones, you see that about 95% of what they put in their mouth are whole foods, plant and plant based, and they they eat a little bit of meat on average about five times a month. But, but really, the, the, if there were a secret longevity food that everybody should be eating, it would be beans, about a cup of beans a day. And to your question about wine, they all drink, all five of the blue zones. People drink, on average, two to three drinks a day, but there's one type of wine we found in the highlands of Sardinia, highest levels of artery-scrubbing polyphenols in the world, and it's called Cananao. It's made from a Grenache grape, and it's very, very red. All of the antioxidants, by the way, are in the pigment of the grape. So the redder the wine, as a rule, the healthier it's going to be for your heart. This one has the highest levels of polyphenols in the world, about three times higher than any other known wine. And we think it probably contributes to the extraordinary longevity of the Sardinian men. What about the, now, a couple of caveats with drinking one, about drinking with friends, and then can you save up, Dan, and take one or two, <laughs> one or two glasses of wine and then, you know, have a couple big nights in a week? <laughs> people, people actually ask me that. Yeah, so if you look two to three drinks at night, I know you cannot save up and have 21 on the weekend. But you, the way you see it, uh, wine consumed in Sardinia, there'll be a small glass at lunch, another small glass. Uh, with friends at five, and then another small glass with uh, with dinner. And by the way, if you're consuming a glass of wine with a Blue Zones meal, which is to say a plant-based meal, you're probably about tripling the 
absorption of the antioxidants. So there's actually an argument that as long as you're eating plant-based, a glass of wine might even be better than a glass of water uh, with a meal. Oh, which my. isn't to say if you're not drinking, if you're not drinking now, you shouldn't start drinking. But if you are, that's probably good news. Can you find the this wine? Hey, pronounce it again. It's Cananoa. Cananao, C-A-N-N-O-N-A-U. Can you find Cananao wine? Can we find Cananao in a, in the United States? Yeah, if, if you go to Whole Foods, for example, you'll be able to find it there. Yeah, or a specialty wine shop. And by the way, because it hasn't been marketed, it's relatively cheap for the price. Is your cash working for you? For years, banks have gotten away with paying next to nothing for the privilege of holding your money. Today, investors have more options as the Federal Reserve has raised and raised and raised interest rates dramatically. Why not take advantage of it? If you're interested in finding a higher yielding solution for the safety allocation of your investment portfolio, reach out to my team at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R wealth.com. Let's go through the power nine. And I want to ask about number two on the list is purpose. And I and I would and I know that I've seen other interviews with you. And now a big part of your sense of purpose is to, to spread this message and your work, which is, I think, so uh, incredibly important for folks to listen to. But tell us about this sense of, your, I guess, your sense of purpose and maybe what the Okinawans say about their sense of purpose. So as a rule, sense of purpose is that intersection between what you like to do, what your passions are, what your what what you're good at, and an and an outlet for it. Uh, and I believe there's also an important service element to to true purpose. So if you're not giving back in some way, uh, it's probably not a meaningful sense of purpose. And in blue zones, you see this. Uh, you mentioned. Uh, uh, the Okinawans, they, they have this word ikigai, which is roughly the reason for which I wake up in the morning. And by the way, they have no word in the Okinawan dialect for retirement. Instead, this, this responsibility purpose concept um, drives their entire adult life. And we know from very good studies in the United States that people who can articulate their sense of purpose, their ikigai, live about eight years longer than people who are rudderless. So if you could put purpose in a capsule, it would be a blockbuster drug. It, it really would. And, and how about for you, though, is how much of your sense of purpose is tied to the research that and the Blue Zone communities that you've helped get going? Well, as you point, I've, I've been a lifelong explorer, and I'm very clear what I'm good at is going out into the world finding a, a traditional people and distilling their wisdom and their lessons for the rest of the rest of us. If I had to sum mine up, that would be mine. But, you know, part of it, my way, I guess, of sort of giving back, and I had a great editor at National Geographic, Peter Miller, who taught me this, but, you know, if you're, if the expeditions you're doing now aren't somehow making the human condition better, uh, they're, they're probably just stunts. And um, since about 2009, I've been working with cities, uh, now about 50 cities throughout the United States, and helping them adopt Blue Zones principles at the population level. And we started with uh, Elbert Lee, Minnesota, 2009, and we helped them lower their health care costs by 40%. 
And most recently, and you can Google NBC Nightly News or CNN, uh, we just helped Fort Worth, Texas, about a million people lower their obesity rate, childhood obesity, and their smoking rate, which will save that city about a quarter of a billion dollars a year. And again, that is taking wisdom from places like Sardinia and Okinawa and putting it to work in America. How many years did it take to see some of these these blue zone habits and the impact on a place like uh, in a city in a big city in Texas? How long did it take? Uh, well, first of all, the, the 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 blue zones approach. We don't think we're going to collectively get a million people to change their habits. That's delusional. Uh, but we can make the environment such that. The default, the, the uh, healthy choice is the easy choice or the, invoid, uh, or the unavoidable choice. And we do that at the policy level and at restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, schools, and churches. And it takes us about five years to put it in place and get it up working. But uh, after you get it in place, because they're long-term interventions, they continue to accrue dividends to cities. You know, we're no longer working as actively in Fort Worth, Texas, but the streets are more walkable and bikeable and safer for kids. Uh, you can no longer smoke in, in um, restaurants and bars, which is helping drive the smoking rate down. Um, the the um, uh, food deserts in, in uh, Fort Worth now offer fruits and vegetables. So, poor people have better access to healthier food. That will last for the indefinite future. And we expect to continue to see uh, obesity drop and people's reported life satisfaction increase in in uh, Fort Worth for the um, foreseeable future. I want to transition to you and talk about happiness. If I go, if I, if we talk about the number seven, which is the sense of belonging and then our loved ones and the right tribe and I want you to get into that. But I, I also I, I've heard I've read different works of yours that comes back to certain cities are set up to your point. We can't just have new habits because we'll eventually ditch them. We have to have a community that almost uh, our way of life is uh, per- perpetuates and facilitates these habits move naturally and so forth. What do you see in if we were to talk about that for a minute here? What are these communities? What are, um, I guess, let's let's start with sense of belonging and what that means for the communities and why it helps people live longer. Yeah, so we know that if you're lonely, which is to say that you don't have at least three friends who you can call up and count on on a bad day, for example, be able to borrow money from them. Uh, if you don't have at least three friends that are that good, it's as bad for your health as a smoking habit. Shaves about eight years off of your life expectancy. For, so a couple of our strategies in Blue Zone Cities, we know that if a street has a sidewalk, a uh, wide sidewalk that invites outdoor cafes and, and older people getting out, that a lot of uh, social interaction happens spontaneously, unplanned by just bumping into people. Uh, we Second day, we, we learned this strategy in Okinawa called a moai. Um, so when our team is in a city, we will build thousands of these committed social circles where we find people who share interests and values, and we organize them around walking and eating plant-based meals together. So it's very easy, you know, it's something everybody does. And 
we've had astounding success at helping lonely people connect with other lonely people and everybody then is live longer, lives longer. And to your point about happiness, you know, I did this book, Blue Zones of Happiness, and a cover story for National Geographic. One of the most dependable ways to get happier is spend more time socializing. The happiest people in the world are socializing six to seven hours a day. Face to so, face, right? This is not, this is not that social media doesn't count. Phone, FaceTime doesn't count. I want, this is face to face contact, right? And, and, and also what is it? Describe, correct. describe again the, the concept of a Moai. So you see it in, by the way, it originally occurred in Okinawa because there weren't banks. So, Four or five friends got together and sort of shook hands and said, we're going to hang out. And by the way, if we need money to buy seed for our fields, uh, we're going to count on each other to you know, borrow money in times of need. But now they've morphed into it, – it boils down to essentially a committed social network. So through life, these pods of four or five people tra- you know, travel together, uh, metaphorically, and they, they have each other's back in times of difficulty – and in times of prosperity, they share. And, you know, the, the best story I had was I found five women who belong to the same Moai. Uh, their average age was 102 years old. And they still get together every night, drink sake, you know, gossip, argue about who the hot guy liked best back in 1941. <laughs> uh, but the, really, you know, they, they, they stayed young and they, and, they, and they cared for each other. And uh, when you look at America in contrast, in the 1980s, the average American had three good friends they could count on on a bad day. We're now down to about 1.7. So as we implode into our electronics and move farther out into the suburbs, we're getting lonelier. And not coincidentally, for the last three years, life expectancy for Americans has dropped. We have gone from three close friends on average in the 1980s down to 1.7. Correct. Talk about talk about the impact of social media. Wow. I don't know if that's social media. I don't know what that is, but you would think that we're even more connected. And the the, the research now shows that we're less connected or less tight social relationships than we've ever had. That is concern. That's that that's concerning. I'll give you a litmus test, and I'm going to address this question to the business travelers in your audience. When's the last time that the person sitting next to you up in business class or even coach turned to you and said a word? You know, now everybody has their Bose headphones on and uh, they're buried in in their electronics or the the movie in front of them. Uh, It used to be 15 years ago, you you know, you said hi to the person next to you and uh, made some conversation. So we're, we're changing and the lessons from the blue zone will suggest that um, we're we're headed in the wrong direction when it comes to social connectedness. You know, I remember thinking back when I was a yeah. Go, let's go back twenty, even thirty years ago. You're right. When you'd get on a plane, you would chit chat. Now I'm guilty of this because I just want to put my headphones in and not chit chat with anybody, which I'm going to change that after this interview, by the way. And and then you go back 20, 30 years, you used to hear people meeting on planes that, that, that started dating and got married today. Yeah. I think it's yeah. impossible. It's Nobody connection. talks to anybody. <laughs> the, yeah. uh, well, Here's my anecdote to that. If, yeah. if, if you ever, if I ever meet you on the airplane, I always say the following. I say, hi, my name is Dan Butner. How are you? 
And they'll look at me and they'll always say, well, how are you? And I say, I'm feeling in a very chatty mood. And I can't wait to travel with you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they get this look of complete terror. And I then I say, just kidding. Oh, but, um, I'm doing that from uh, now on. Dan, you talk about uh, what what is happiness. It's life satisfaction. Are you experiencing your life? Do you have a sense of purpose? And then how did you look at cities around the globe in related in relation to how happy the population is? Yeah, so Gallup, uh, gathers very good data on life satisfaction and how how we actually experience our life. And with National Geographic and ShareCare, I convinced them to uh, control for ethnicity, age, and and income. So, uh, you know, as a rule, if you're white, old, and rich, you're going to be happier. So we took those variables out of the equation, mm-hmm. and then we listed uh, the cities that are the happiest and and um, and, and this is cities. We had 15 different um, uh, metrics that included uh, how physically fit they are, how good they feel about their job, how good they feel socially, how satisfied they are with their lives. And the number one was, and I wrote about this in National Geographic magazine, the number one was uh, um, um, Boulder, Colorado. Boulder. And then some of the Older. other some of the other top ten. These are did they? What did they really have in common? Is it is it a very active, walkable place to to live with decent weather, or is that is that something that tied these together? And that's part of it. Weather doesn't make much of a difference at all, actually, because we adapt to weather. But here's the big secret: in every place, not only in the Americas but in the world, where you have happy population, it's always because. Sometime in the past, usually 50 to 75 years ago, uh, civic leaders shifted their focus from just economic development to adopting policies that would specifically favor quality of life. So you take San Luis Obispo. Uh, uh, about 40 years ago, a mayor got elected and uh, noticed that the streets were clogged with traffic and sidewalks were narrow, and people weren't connecting. So he uh, went to work at routing streets outside of, uh, routing the highway outside of town, uh, getting rid of uh, billboards. Nobody likes billboards. Um, Investing in a Thursday night farmer's market where everybody can come together and celebrate around healthy food. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and physical activity. And, you know, every city's a little bit different on what they're going to like. But as a rule, there's a very clear bundle of policies that are going to favor quality of life. And it's, it's leaders who are focused on them and not just on making, you know, trying to juice the local economy, which often uh, happens at the expense of people's health and well-being. Um, but, you know, really focus on humans and not just business. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much. Safe travels. And I really appreciate your time today here on the show. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. 
This information is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no guaranteed offer that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. Stock prices fluctuate, sometimes rapidly and dramatically, due to factors affecting individual companies, particular industries or sectors, or general market conditions. For stocks paying dividends, dividends are not guaranteed and can increase, decrease, or be eliminated without notice. Fixed income securities involve interest rate, credit, inflation, and reinvestment risks and possible loss of principal. As interest rates rise, the value of fixed income securities falls. Past performance is not indicative of future results when considering any investment vehicle. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. Investment decisions should not be based solely on information contained here. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. The information contained here is strictly an opinion and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. The views and opinions expressed are for educational purposes only as of the date of production and may change without notice at any time based on numerous factors such as market and other conditions.